Startle us, O God, with your truth, and open our hearts and minds to your word, that hearing we may believe, and believing we may trust our lives to your love. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word, amen. amen. Earlier this summer, I attended my 50th high school reunion, where, among other things, I remembered that back in high school, I was a mediocre student at best. Without doubt, you could blame it on my lack of maturity at the time, or because I much preferred sports to scholastics. The main reason I even passed high school English was because I made friends with a certain Mr. Notes. That's Cliff Notes, <laughs> who helped me to get by. Fortunately, a decade or, so, decade or so later, I slowly began to grow up and perhaps maybe even wise up. And I set a goal for myself to go back and reread all of those classic books that I'd been assigned, but either failed to read or failed to understand. The Scarlet Letter, The Red Badge of Courage, Frankenstein, King Lear, The Old Man and the Sea, so many others. These are some of the classics that today mean the world to me even though they meant so little to me back then. One of my favorites is Robert Louis Stevenson's The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. At one level, it is a simple mystery story about a fine and upstanding doctor who secretly concocts a chemical potion, and, and when he drinks it, it turns in, into something of a lunatic. But at a deeper level, the story is much more than that. It is something of a moral allegory and describes the struggle of two opposing personalities, one of them basically good, the other basically bad, maybe even evil. This struggle between good and evil goes on inside each of us. And some days we wonder which part of our personality will prevail. Will we wake up in the morning and uh, live our lives like Dr. Jekyll, the fine and upstanding citizen respected by all? Or will we become like Mr. Hyde and allow our sinister side to surface? I'm thinking, for example, about a loving couple They've just celebrated their 15th anniversary. Outwardly, their life seems so wonderful, filled with roses and romance. But behind closed doors, one spouse often yells at the other and says, you fool. Or here's a woman, a candidate for mother of the year, but her kids can recall the many times she's lost her temper with them. 
And then there is Richie Jaromovic, one of the most fascinating characters in the popular streaming series called The Bear. Episode by episode, Richie gives us all sorts of reasons to dislike him. He is as classic a Mr. Hyde as ever there was one. But then, somehow his harsh personality begins to soften a bit. And we wonder whether there might be a Dr. Jekyll lurking just below the surface. There's a little bit of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in each of us. This morning's first Old Testament lesson from Genesis tells us about Jacob. He's one of the he uh, heroes of the Hebrew Bible. This is Jacob as in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, one of the great patriarchs of the Jewish people. When we meet him, he is out in the wilderness. Nighttime approaches, so he decides to lie down and sleep for the night. He takes a rock, puts it under his head for a pillow, and then he falls asleep. And in his sleep, he has a dream. He sees a ladder reaching from earth all the way up to heaven. Angels are climbing up and down the ladder. And then in the dream, Jacob hears a voice, and it's not just any voice, it's God's voice. God says to him, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south, and all of the families of the earth shall be blessed by you and by your offspring. Well, we might say just an average ordinary day in the life of Jacob, just a run-of-the-mill dream that confirms his pivotal role in the history of Israel. Not so fast. Remember, Jacob was not exactly a fine and upstanding citizen. He was anything but the Dr. Jekyll of his day. Rather, he was much more of a Mr. Hyde, a louse, a liar, a trickster, and a cheat. Who would base one's future hopes and dreams on him? let alone the hopes and dreams of an entire nation. You may recall Jacob was the second of two twin boys born to Isaac and Rebekah. The first of the sons came out of the womb all red and hairy, and so they named him Esau. The second son came out with his hand grabbing the heel of his older brother. And so they named him Jacob, a name that literally means heel grabber or supplanter. How interesting that this child who came into the world hand first would spend much of his life grabbing that which did not belong to him. The first thing he stole was his brother's birthright. If I remember correctly, we heard that scripture read last Sunday. Esau had been out hunting in the fields, Jacob in the kitchen preparing a savory stew. 
When Esau came home, he was famished. He said to his brother, I'm starving to death. Give me something to eat. And Jacob said, of course I will. But first, sell me your birthright. And that is what Esau did. The next thing that Jacob stole was his father's blessing. The blessing that traditionally went to the older son. Jacob took advantage of his father's failing eyesight, and so he dressed himself up in animal skins so that he would have the feel and the smell of his brother. And then he went in to receive his father's blessing. In this way, Jacob duped his father, betrayed his brother, and stole the family blessing, the blessing that belonged to Esau. Not long after, the author of Genesis writes, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, I will kill my brother Jacob. When Jacob learned about this, he fled for his life out into the wilderness. And that's when he has this incredible dream with the ladder reaching up to heaven. Recently, I, I told the members of my family that I was thinking about preaching today about Jacob's ladder. And when I did, my three-year-old grandson, whose name happens to be Jacob, said, but I don't have a ladder. <laughs> well, all kidding aside, there's actually a lot of truth in his words. For even though we call this story Jacob's Ladder, and even though there is a wonderful old spiritual about it as well, the ladder is not really Jacob's ladder. It's God's ladder. It's God who takes the initiative. It's God who comes to Jacob in the dream. And it's God who promises Jacob that his offspring will become as numerous as the dust of the earth. And this is one of the main differences between God and us. You see, if I had been God, or I suspect if you had been God, we would have read Jacob the riot act. We would have chastised him and maybe even punished him for behaving so badly. We would have reminded him that what the world needs is a few more Dr. Jekylls and a few less Mr. Hydes. The last thing that anyone needs in this world of ours today is a heel-grabbing, self-centered, lying, cheating son of a... son of an Isaac. But even if we would have dissed him or dismissed him, God never did. Out there in the wilderness, God did not read Jacob the riot act. Instead, the God of unconditional love and amazing grace promised to bless Jacob and his ancestors so that in turn they could be a blessing to all of the people of the earth. Now, if you find yourself asking right now, what kind of a strange God is this? 
well, then you are actually on to something very important. It is, by the way, the same kind of God we saw in the person of Jesus in last Sunday's Gospel reading. Maybe you remember the parable of the sower, in which the farmer sows his seed not just on the good soil, but also on the path, on the rocks, and even among the thorns. What kind of a crazy farmer would do that? Scattering seed with such seemingly reckless abandon. Well, the way the Gospel writer Matthew shapes his story gives us something of a clue. For Matthew begins by telling us that Jesus went out of the house to teach. A moment later, he tells us that the sower went out to sow. It's the exact same sentence structure. Jesus went out to teach, the sower went out to sow, suggesting that Matthew believes that the farmer in the parable is some sort of a symbol for Jesus himself, the one who sows the seed of the gospel far and wide for which undoubtedly he received a lot of criticism. Can you see Jesus stopping by the tax office, saying to Levi, later Matthew, the tax collector, come follow me? And can you picture the religious leaders standing outside the tax office and saying, no, no, don't throw the seed of the gospel in his direction. He's the wrong kind of soil. Can you see him strolling the shore of the Sea of Galilee, tossing the seed of the gospel toward Simon Peter? No, no, we say the seed won't sprout there. He's too rough and jagged. His soil is way too rocky. Ironically, sometime later, Jesus will to say to Simon, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Can you see him scattering the seed of the gospel in the direction of the woman with the flow of blood? Or the demon-possessed man, or the leper, or any of the other so-called undesirables in the Bible were tempted to say, no, no, don't throw the seed toward them. Their lives are way too thorny, if you know what we mean. But Jesus ignores all caution, and he keeps scattering the gospel seed far and wide with generosity and unmerited grace. If I were to give this sermon a title, I would want to call it The Divine In Spite Of. That's a phrase that comes from the writings of the great theologian Paul Tillich. In one of his books, Tillich says that God does not love us because of who we are or what we do. Rather, says Tillich, God loves us in spite of who we are or what we do. Although this is a mature theological idea, it's very, very easy to understand. 
Anyone who is a parent or grandparent to a toddler knows exactly what I'm talking about. And this is, this is the good news that I want to proclaim to you today. That no matter how much you have acted like Mr. Hyde, no matter how badly like Jacob you have behaved, no matter how far you have fallen from grace and fled out into the wilderness, even now God is reaching out to you. Not to punish you or chastise you, but to embrace you in love, giving you a new chance to start again. And if this is how God treats us, shouldn't we then treat others with the very same kindness, grace, and mercy with which God treats us? As the author of 1 John once wrote, we love because God first loved us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.